If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Citations Mets fans, and welcome to this week's episode of For All You Kids Out There, the official podcast of your BP Mets local site. I'm your host, just back from Midtown Manhattan to see off Sheffield Wednesday's maiden voyage of HMS Piss the League, Jeff Paternostro, and with me as always in southern Jersey is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, once again, I'm going to intro the podcast the same way I introed it last week. The Mets averted disaster by salvaging <laughs> the last game of the Detroit Tigers series. Somehow, they're still only two games back in the wild card, as last I looked. Jonathan Gray and the Rockies was getting were, was, were, were getting shelled by the Miami Marlins. So, as we enter the last 50 or so games of the 2016 Major League Baseball season, would you describe the second wildcard race as a dumpster fire? Yeah, I mean, everybody's falling, like, wildly out of their division. Um, The Mets have only lost, what, like, one game of ground in the last month where they have yet to consecutively win games. (laughs) Yeah, dumpsterfire.jpg. Yeah, I mean, the... Marlins are kind of staggering along. The Cardinals are staggering along, and the Mets are staggering like that drunk homeless dude, basically. I is the second is a three way race for the second wild card like worth actually trading for Jay Bruce? Yeah, I I don't know. They didn't rent much. The only thing they rented is John Neese, and they have options there, and that was a bad contract dump. Yeah. You know, Jay Bruce theoretically makes the 2017 Mets better, too, although we'll get to that in a few minutes. We have some more thoughts on that in light of the Cespedes injury. I just, I... So what? You're basically looking at... You know, one game against either probably Rich Hill or Madison Bumgardner on the road. Yeah. Maybe not being able to line up DeGrom and Syndergaard because maybe you had to burn them to get there. Hey, it's not Clayton Kershaw, at least. And still might be Clayton Kershaw. True enough. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later, too, but... Bumgarner's probably the Cy Young favorite right now, and Rich Hill was probably the best pitcher in the American League until he got traded. So, that's not, you're not drawing. I'm at the same token you could have Jacob DeGrom or Noah Syndergaard going in that game for you, though. Sure, you could have Jacob DeGrom with Syndergaard behind him like you did in Game 5 of the DS last year. Uh, yeah, you just... It, it, All things know. are possible in this shit show of a playoff race, so... Yeah, I mean, the Mets are sitting three games over, and they're still, what, like 25% to make the playoffs? Yeah, so. and if you look at 
what they actually bought, or I shouldn't say what, what they actually spent at the deadline. It was a second base only dude they were going to trade for something in the next seven months or so, one way or the other. A interesting rookie ball lefty and Antonio Bastardo. And given... I, I hate talking about players in this kind of commoditized tone, but given how the Mets spend in the draft and given how the number of these players in the draft that just exist, the Mets pick up two or three Max Wotels every year. And Max Wotel has not done anything to distinguish himself from the crowd of over-slot prep pitchers. Sure, they got Cameron Plank and Matt Cleveland this year. You want to look at it that way. And they got... Yeah, they got they got Plank and Cleveland. I guess. And then last year, you know, you can throw in Jake Simon, Sixo Torres, and Jordan Humphreys. Obviously, he's a Plank, he's in a different Buck, class. Yeah. Well, he's in a different yeah. class now. He is but the he guy was that, that kind has. Of guy, but he was sure. that kind of guy when the yep. draft. I mean, and he just, was. I think depends on who you talk to, but coming into the draft, I think Wattel was probably considered the better draft prospect. I, you know, you saw Wattel last year. I have not seen Wattel. I've talked to people that have seen Wattel. I've talked to people that know a fair bit about Wattel. And my understanding is he's basically just where he was at draft time. Yeah. You know, he's still on that. He has not done the Sapaki. And he hasn't gone the other way either because sometimes, sometimes these guys get into pro ball and turned out to have like shredded shoulders, and sometimes these guys get into pro ball and turn out to be unable to throw strikes to pro hitters. I've, I've I sit on a lot of Kings Four games, Jared. I'm right. well aware of all of this. <laughs> but our listeners may not be. I mean, who is that dude that the Pirates traded for Ike Davis that's just like disappeared? Blake Taylor. He's back on a GCL mound in rehab. Yeah, but that's you know. Blake Taylor was like one of these guys. Sure, he looks like he's he may never make it to full season ball. So lots of stuff happens. <laughs> we will delve deeper into the Mets as playoff competitors or not as we go on with the show. And as I run through the agenda for episode fourteen, I should mention that this is the first show I have failed to procure a guest for. And look, that's a pretty good run for me, given my well-established podcast production abilities or lack thereof and also considering like i'm in the process of moving into a house and spent this morning watching sheffield wednesday grind one out against aston villa and i spent yesterday out of town and am under the weather and was in bed all day so i was unable to procure a guest as well so shit happens with those high standards for the show laid out yeah so this may this may be a little bit of a more disjointed show than normal, if that's possible. We will soldier on that one in the first half of episode 14. We'll talk about Cespedes' lingering leg injuries and the Mets' outfield alignment going forward. Yes, it is, in fact, another edition of for all you outfielders out there. We'll also discuss the Mets' fifth starter situation as Logan Verrett had a bit of a shocker on Saturday. Sorry, I have been watching soccer, you know. Is this just an excuse for Jarrett to complain about John Neese and for me to lobby for Gabriel Inouye? Only time will tell. Probably yes. In the second half of the show, we have emails, and the wrestling content comes early this week. Sorry, you can blame Brady. We'll also talk about A-Rod, because Jarrett wants to talk about A-Rod. And in the third half, you know, I got a note in my BP chat this week in between the Thomas Zapucky questions and Jarrett trying to anonymously troll me about Dom Smith's weight. We don't, <laughs> yeah, not denying it. That we don't talk enough about prospects on the podcast, so we'll rectify that. I will also reanimate a long dormant feature, which is not the Josh Satin Watch. 
But we will start with Ioannis Cespedes. And hey, he's been hurt since the All-Star break. Let's be clear here. Somewhere in here, we're probably going to fit in some Ichiro talk, too. Sure. Because that's, that's the baseball... The, the two baseball newses of the week both happened today. Ichiro hit 3,000, and A-Rod sort of retired. He's a special assistant. I want to see him in... You're going to run to a lot, I feel like, sitting next to Stick Michael at those Trenton games well, now. So, so the interesting thing is A-Rod was clear that he's basically going home for the rest of this season and yeah. is, like, not doing anything until next season. Uh... He was. He also definitely left the door open if another team comes calling at some point too. So we'll see. But I, yeah, I, I the name guys, the two most common name guys that show up in Trenton are Reggie Jackson and Hideki Matsui. They don't really tend to hang out behind the plate much. They tend to go on the field before the game and then either hang out in the dugout or bolt. Where's so. Mats- Matsui's living on the West Coast now, right? No, I think Matsui lives in New York. Mm. He he shows up a decent amount. Reggie shows up a decent amount. Uh, Stick Michael does hang out in the scout section when he shows up, and is a he is an absolute wonderful guy, and he is very generous with his time and in, ice cream. Yes, in talking to random people because he's Stick Michael, and I guess he just likes talking about baseball. Now that you've already derailed the podcast, we can get back this, to Ioannis Cespedes. Yeah. So he's been a part-time player since the All-Star break because you got to keep his bat in the lineup the 50% of the time. You can actually put his bat in the lineup. I think he... But he DH the first game they had a DH available and that went on the DL or went he on the DL DH'd right before the, first, the DH? He DH'd the first game... And swung out of his shoes in his last at bat and, like, visibly screwed up his quad doors. So, After playing golf earlier in that day. Yeah, game. whatever. I don't give that. I don't we're give not members of the media. That. We're not contractually obligated to mention this. Okay, so I was, you know, a decent amateur golfer up until I was, like, 16 or 17 and stopped caring. Um it, golfing is not it, you're not going to hurt or worsen your quad golfing it's it's actually the kind of low impact activity that a physical trainer is likely to recommend for rehab it's the optics of it as Cindy Alderson said also if you follow any minor league players on Twitter and or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the kids are using nowadays you'll know every day off in March they are rushing for tea time somewhere in the greater Port St. Lucie area Cespedes literally plays golf five or six days a week. Yeah. It is part of his game preparation. He goes out and plays golf. He often plays with Rene Rivera. It's amazing how you don't hear about that. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares if Rene Rivera is playing golf. So we know this changes the math and the Mets playoff odds, but you think this changes any calculus in terms of Cespedes opting out? I mean, it makes it, I think, slightly less likely, just in case this is the kind of injury that lingers and puts him out for the season. I I think the public spat part of it makes him slightly more likely, but, you know, if he wants to stay that bad, he's going to try and use the leverage of the opt-out to get an extension anyway, so... I've got some bad news for Johannes Cespedes if he tries to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's what he would try to do. Right. And for most normal teams, I'd be like, all right, you get, I've said it before on the show, you tack on, you know, two years at the same 
AAV is like whatever, twenty five or twenty seven million. Functionally twenty seven five. Sure. So two years fifty five on the end of it. And that's like the team friendly version of that. So I mean, he essentially if we're saying that this is it, he played in ninety four games, three hundred and seventy six played appearances. 289, 362, 548, which is basically what he did for the whole of last year, plus some walks. He started walking a lot more this year than he ever has in the past. Um, I think part of that was due to, you know, just the NL pitchers starting to fear him a little bit more. But I do think his selectivity did improve somewhat. Um, Him and Wilmer Flores are the two guys where I think it visually, they visually stopped swinging at quite as much crap. Does he beat two years and I guess essentially fifty million on the market? Yes. Is it possible he doesn't beat it by a lot? I mean, that hitter market was just so weird last year. It's gonna be even weirder this year, but you don't also have the I guess He's gonna have a QO tag on him too. Yeah. Hayward was the clear best hitter free agent last year can i but can i, I think cespedes was probably number two no i think justin Upton was number two was he i mean can i take this in a slightly weird direction yeah why not given how horrible both hayward and upton have been this year is that going to make teams more hesitant to pay for this like right at peak kind of defense heavy outfielder package i mean is that guy exists right now it's Cespedes. To no, Cespedes is bad. Is what's carrying that profile on the free agent market. I it's, don't. It's, it's, he's a thirty home run guy. That's what you're. You're buying a thirty and one hundred guy to put it in sort of but old if, school terms. You're buying a middle of the order hitter. If you believe the defensive metrics, he's one of the best defensive corner oh, outfielders. Yeah, he's a very good left fielder. I'm not saying that, but but Hayward, it's like Hayward's defensive metric numbers were ridiculous. That was but entire- Hayward. Hayward and Upton both totally collapse this year. They're both among the worst regular hitters in baseball. I still um, think there's a very, very limited supply of high-end free agents and enough teams that are going to want them in the offseason. I don't think it's going to make a huge—it's not a bubble or anything. I don't see it being— And I think even if he's going on the market as is— hobbled by this quad problem for the second half of the season. It's like if you need an outfielder, it's him or Colby Rasmus. It's him or Ian Desmond. Or Desmond. It sounds like the Rangers are going to try to lock him up long term. I think they probably will, but that's, you know, Ian Desmond is probably... And Ian Desmond wasn't an outfielder like two years ago, so... Yeah, but Ian Desmond's turned out to be a sensational center fielder. Sure, but it's... it's... He's also hitting the ball like peak Ian Desmond again. I think it's a weird enough profile. There's probably some weird risk there, too, that we're not fully acknowledging. And Cespedes might be, too. You know, when the legs start going on these guys, sometimes these problems become chronic. Sure. There's there's room to there's room to nitpick Cespedes, too. Uh, so, I, I think all in all, this probably doesn't change his likelihood of being a 2017 Met. I do think Jay Bruce being around does. And speaking of which, today against the Tigers, the outfield alignment was Alejandro Diaz in center, Conforto in left, and Granderson in right with Jay Bruce DHing. That works great in interleague. Just one problem, Jarrett. I'm just about out of interleague games. It sure seems like from everything Terry Collins has done and everything Terry Collins has said, 
that Deaza and Bruce's positions in the outfield are almost untouchable. Deaza's going to start 80% of the games, and Bruce is going to start 95% of the games. Well, they got Deaza going, so now it's time to reap the benefits. Is Deaza, like, do you consider Deaza a substantial center field upgrade on Conforto or Granderson defensively? No. He's better. I, I don't either. Um, and that's the part that confuses me because I mean, I there's think a reason like do. the White Sox and Marlins weren't playing him regularly in center field. Yeah, I think the, the Red Sox are in there somewhere too. He played for a few teams, but before this season, he had essentially not even he had not played substantial center field since 2013. It's basically the same kind of history as Granderson. Yeah, where he had played it here and there. He's not that much younger. He was not as good of a center fielder as Granderson when they were both center fielders. I just, I, you know, we've got Diaz's bat going. It's not like it's that good, you know? Yeah. It's, what's he hitting now? Uh, So total on the season, he is hitting 201, 294, 306. That's a a 69 weighted runs created. Not nice. That's not nice, no. But, so the team is, as we said at the outset, the team is probably going to be in it until the last week of the season or so, at least on paper, mathematically, because this race is a dumpster fire. So you can't be like, oh, we're going to play people for developmental purposes. But that's not like... You're not making space for Gavin Cicchini or something. It's like, Michael Conforto probably gives you the best chance to win. Certainly against right. He still has like an 850 OPS against righties. He launched one opposite field today. I mean, he's been completely unplayable against lefties. We can get into the whys of that if you really want to. But functionally, against righties, he's by far the best option. We don't know if he's unplayable against lefties because he's got, like, three plate appearances against lefties in, like, the last two months. Like, we don't even know that at this point. His his split career lefties that Terry Collins has decided he can literally never see a lefty again is 64 plate appearances. Yeah. That is two weeks. And in the minors, it was he was like a 700 OPS guy. Though not a big sample again because he wasn't in the minors that long. He did not have huge splits in college. He did not have huge splits in the minors. There was no reason to suggest that he was going to be a huge split platoon bat, except that he essentially had two bad weeks against lefties and Terry Collins. I don't know Keith Law. Keith Law's theory. I was, I was wondering if you were going to bring up our good friend Keith Law. Keith Law, you know, pretty much just stated that he's asked around and Terry Collins hates young players. Yeah. And I think with the arms, it's you can't really jerk around starting pitchers playing time. Like, once they call up Noah Syndergaard to start, he's kind of got to take the ball. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't hurt that, you know, every single arm they've called up in Ch- Terry Collins' tenure has immediately worked out well. And almost every single bat has not. Right. Uh, and Conforto is the closest to that bat working out, really. And I think down the stretch last year, you can make the argument that in a in a pennant race, getting Conforto's feet wet against righties and using Ligaris, especially given the fact that you could play Ligaris in center those days against lefties and get Cespedes in left, was totally reasonable. Well, here's the thing. For all the shit we talked about, Conforto was the full-time left fielder in the playoffs. Terry Collins started Michael Kadire in game did, one yeah, at LDS yeah. over Conforto, yeah. over Lagares. He's He started Kadire. I know. I watched the game, Jarrett. 
I, and it almost does feel like, in a way, Conforto staying up after the Cespedes trade was an accident. And you would think that Collins would have preferred to play Ligaris in center and Granderson and Cespedes in the corners down the stretch because at some point Ligaris became a veteran that he's okay playing, even though Ligaris was, you know, a jerked around kid early on in his career. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get it. And then you get, I mean, like, the... the <laughs> I didn't pinch run with Jay Bruce. Or Jay, pinch run with Brandon Nemo for Jay Bruce. I didn't know which one was faster. I, I mean, Brandon Nemo is like a 55 or 60 runner. And Jay I Bruce don't think... Yeah, he's faster than Jay Bruce. he's not anymore. He, he was three years ago. Yeah. I have been timed him recently. He still runs fine. Yeah, Jay Bruce is... A, runs like a guy with a bad is a knee. Is a 30 runner, and that might be generous at this point. There's just been all. Is this where we do the dumping on Terry Collins? Do you want me to give the same quote I gave on the beer, baseball, and barbecue podcast hit I gave, where that's sure. and that I've been giving for essentially four years now? There was going to come a point in time, Jarrett, where Terry Collins was not the manager for this roster. I mean, what was that fucking roster? What was that fucking lineup he ran out the other day? Ty Kelly batting second and Renee Rivera DHing. So his 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 thing on Rene Rivera was that he wanted to play a right-handed DH that he could hit for early in the game. Right. He's never pinch hit for Rene Rivera when he should have when Rene Rivera was starting. Yeah, and lo and behold, he did hit for Rene Rivera. But wouldn't you want to start somebody at DH that you don't have to hit for? If you're going to start Rene Rivera and Travis Darnot. And you keep benching Travis Darnot for Rene Rivera for defensive reasons. Why is Rene Rivera the DH in this scenario? These are all good questions. What the fuck is Ty Kelly even doing on this roster? Also a good question. I had forgotten that this was still a thing until someone on Twitter reminded me. What is he doing starting a game in the outfield? The utility of Ty Kelly is that he plays on the infield positions. If you're going to start somebody to call somebody to randomly start a game in the outfield... I, God God help me for saying this. Call Bear Campbell. He might be on his way, which we'll get to in a short while. Or they could have just played Kelly Johnson in left field and Ty Kelly at third. Or they could have played Michael Conforto in left field. Let's not go crazy, Jared. What What is Brandon Nimmo doing on this roster? Has Brandon Nimmo done any... Has Brandon Nimmo, like, started a game since he got called back up? He'll start Friday, If you're I not going if you're not going to use Brandon Nimmo... What they just literally need an outfielder that's on the 40. So Call it's up Travis Tyrone. It's not like they're in desperate need of 40-man space. They got lots of junk at the bottom of the 40 they can DFA. Yeah, and they're going to be doing that in the offseason anyway, given how many people they have to add. Oh, well, Eric Campbell's hung on this 40-man for long enough that I wouldn't put it past them yet. <laughs> so, let's say they don't make the playoffs. Is this Terry Collins' last season, you think? Do you think they'll find a way to... So, uh, one thing you have to talk about in this conversation is that Terry Collins is the oldest manager in the major leagues, and he has had health problems. Sure, they, they could probably, they could massage this somehow if they really wanted to. Yeah, and I don't know how long Terry Collins is going to want to continue to manage. At some point, he may just decide, "Hey, I want to go home," or "Hey, I want to be a special assistant." Right. These are the types of things that I... What, and, Terry and, Collins is 67, I believe. Something like that. Something. And, like, even if it comes down to, like, 
Jeff Wilpon, and let's be clear, in this scenario, it would be Jeff Wilpon getting angry and deciding to clean house this offseason because 84 and 78 is not acceptable, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you're ending up with what? John Rico and Tim Tuffle? Oh, I don't think they're going to clean house on. I don't. Oh, I don't either. But I'm just saying. Is Tim Tuffle the guy, are we assuming? That's kind of been the assumption. I, well, you know, they value continuity, Jared, as we know. So if we're looking at internal candidates, you've especially got I think, especially if it comes down to that sort of massaging it into a special assistant role or you know spring instructor, so sort of roving thing, they'll they'll keep the continuity in the staff. I think internal candidates: Tim Tuffle, yeah, Dickie Scott. I guess we'll give Wally Backman an interview just to sure. start everybody off. But uh, they'll yeah. give Pedro Lopez an interview. Pedro too, Lopez, I, think, I yeah. think, is a more legitimate candidate. Is there? I, I'm rapidly googling the Mets front office to see if there's like an equivalent to Gabe Kapler here. Not there really. Isn't I mean, as best as I can remember. I mean, Ian Levin's the farm guy. Yeah, I, I mean, Dickie Scott's probably the equivalent to Gabe Kapler. Probably, like yeah. the front office guy going in, which they already kind of did. Um, but yeah, you, know, I mean, you, you can, can always talk about bringing Bob Guerin back or somebody like that. Yeah. Where it's like Chip semi- Hale might be available and he's... You know, Kevin Wong could plausibly be a managerial candidate. That would be... Like, you don't really see hitting coaches make that move, though, do you? Less so now, now that everybody's just decided to hire backup catchers with no experience. Right. Um... I mean, is this where, like, Omir Santos comes back? Is We can only hope. <laughs> I mean, do they have... Does this front office have, like, that kind of guy? I can't write, you know... There's got to be, what, some old... Who was, like, the San Diego backup catcher in 2008? Because that's going to be who it Brad is. Brad Austin, wasn't it? It might very well be Brad Austin. <laughs> it's not a bad guess. Like, if you were going to randomly make a guess there, <laughs> that would probably be the guess you'd want to make. Let's take a look. 2008, San Diego Bookward. Searching baseball reference and David Roth isn't even on the show. Well, he was the Houston backup catcher in 2008. The backup, oh, Josh Bard. What's Josh Bard doing these days? Let's take a look. That's not, that's not bad. Josh Bard, he's 38. He's a coach with the Dodgers. Is he? Well, he's, there their bullpen, he's their bullpen coach. Josh Bard, man, the next manager of the Mets. You know. Who else on this team is like? We make a joke about player manager David Wright. I could see, so if you want to get really, as long as we're going to fantasy book this, David Wright as bench coach for Chip Hale makes sense. Um, you know, recently retired guys that they could bring back for, you know, Michael Kadire, I don't, he never really had that kind of rep, I don't think, as a future coach. He seems pretty happy just being like the cool dad, whatever he's doing in Minnesota right now. That's manager, that's manager Alex Rodriguez? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll get to Bobby Abreu? I don't uh, Bad with the media. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of this job is good with the media, and a lot of Collins' failings has been media-related. Abreu makes sense as, like, a hitting coach. I could see that. I could, I could see Abreu popping back up at some point. Just, you know, of all the, like, random shitty bets that they had over the Alderson tenure, they didn't have a lot of, like, those future, like, the good-looking white dude. Come on, Josh Satin, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, but he's not, he's not at that level. Sure. Like, you know, Anthony, I could see Anthony Recker being a manager, but in, like, eight years. Anthony Recker is hitting, like, 350. 
But, you know, Anthony Rucker is a guy that I could see being a major league manager. Sure, sure, sure. He also <laughs> seemed like he was very personable with the media, so. And and there's some other, you know, um, John Baker guys sure. like that that are kicking, you know, around the bottom of various people's systems. Uh, Brian Bannister. I'm not just naming people that we're going to see at Saber Seminar next <laughs> week. They both will be at Saber Seminar, but they... You would assume that the Mets are going to hire out of that kind of pool if they do decide to make it. Realistically, they're just going to promote they're just, We just spent like seven minutes discussing candidates they will not consider because they're just going to promote Tim Toffel. Yeah, they're, they're going to interview Backman, Lopez, and Dick Scott and promote Toffel. Yes, that is what is going to happen. And they'll maybe interview one outside candidate that's not like a serious... Uh, uh, Pedro, Pedro Lopez covers the ceiling rule too, right? Yeah. Isn't Manny Acta a bench coach somewhere now again? Sure, they could always do that. But first we have to get to the offseason, Jarrett, and there's about another 10 starts or so that need to be made by the Nets' number 5 starter, and it's looking like it will not be Logan Verrett. Okay, so... Our three... Well, our four plausible options... Let's go with five plausible options. One is Logan Verrett. Right. And I, look, apparently, according to my co-host, I am Logan Verrett's number one fan because I once said that he, he should probably be protected on the 40-man over Akil Morris. And now I suppose it's worth noting they left him unprotected after the 2014 season and then, like, plugged him right into the number five st- spot. And He became, like, an infallible guy. Yeah, yes. We needed tons of evidence. It's... it's it's so, like, Matt Reynolds is becoming this, too. Like, it's almost like if you're a good prospect, Collins holds it against you. And if you're, a, if you're like, a C prospect, I don't know, maybe he sees you're a baseball player. You. I don't know. I don't want to start psychoanalyzing. We'll be here all night. Yeah. So our, our number two option is Jonathan Neese. They did trade for Jonathan Neese. Um, that is a thing that happened. Let's 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 come back to Jonathan Nees. Our right. number three option, which seems like it might be the most likely, is Gabriel Anoa, who's being lined up to take this start. Right, he pitches tonight. Well, he's pitching right now, as you record. They have a day off, so he would literally line up for Friday. Um, he's been kind of terrible lately. He has not like, been good lately. It's Vegas, so it's do so you need difficult to, to read into it. Uh, number. four. Four option would be Robert Gizelman. We'll get to him in the th- in the third segment. And number five option would probably be Hansel Robles. I, <laughs> I mean, think Gizelman's could... scheduled to go Wednesday, so they just be giving him a couple extra days. Realistically, it seems like it's going to be Nice or Noah. It's sure, probably going to be John Nice because we can't have nice things. Yeah, so I mean, you trade for John Nice and you do. Multi, you put multiple people out there to assure us that John Neese is not a candidate to start, and now we're talking about him starting a week later. Yeah, no, that sounds all. All of this sounds right out of the New York Mets playbook. So, and John Neese has looked good out of the bullpen. Yeah, he's fine. He he looks like a guy that's a solid, good middle relief arm. Probably shouldn't face Miguel Cabrera with the bases loaded, but no, but he he looks good. In the rotation, he's going to look like John Neese again. Yeah. I, we've seen it. We, he's, his stuff isn't even what it was last year anymore. So, Zach Wheeler's probably, what, three weeks away? Got one inning. <laughs> Before the rain came, as it does in St. Lucie. 
It's probably going to need four more starts. So, yeah, three weeks. Right. And even then, it's not like they're going to be able to roll them out there for six, seven innings and 100 pitches. You really want to say that after what Terry's been doing for the starting staff? I mean, Thomas Apucky threw 100 pitches this on a Saturday, which shocked the hell out of me, but apparently that mind, happens. I don't mind that. <sighs> I mean, I, it was, I, they brought him out for the sixth on 88 pitches and then kind of let him, like, I wasn't there, so I don't know what he was throwing, but based on what they did when we saw him, I can imagine he might have been a little gassed in the sixth. He was a little gassed in the sixth when we saw him. That's not abusive. It's not abusive. It's just, it struck me as unusual. It's unusual now, but as we discuss all the time, the Mets are run by people from the 1990s. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, there has been pitcher usage on the major league level that's, I don't want to call it abusive, but uh, Noah Syndergaard's handling over the last month, I think, has to be a little bit concerning. Sure. Since we so, know he's pitching with something in his elbow. Yeah, he's just being pushed. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly hard. Matt's is being pushed harder than you'd like, given his situation. Um, you know, he, he his hook on the ground was probably two batters too long today. Yeah, we were sitting in. Uh, I probably would have afterwards watching him. We were a little surprised Blevins didn't come in uh, for the first lefty. Well, so the reason that Blevins wasn't coming in for the first lefty is because they would have hit Kinsler for him. Well, they hit Kinsler anyway, Jared. Yeah, if you're going to make that decision, you've got to just put Addison Reed right, in the game. Yeah, which is what they end, end up doing. Against the bad lefty. Yeah. Um, that felt like Collins being a National League manager who's not really thinking about the other team hitting for position players aggressively. Right. Which, he only hits for his DH. <laughs> yeah, and Collins did manage in the AL, so yeah. this is another, like... I mean, literally 20, well, no, literally 20 years ago at this point. But it's not, you know, I... Who was the manager that accidentally double-switched forward in an AL game, or in an NL game? Was that Willie Randolph? I think it was Willie Randolph. Was Willie Randolph. I, it's not like he had never been exposed to that because Willie yeah. Randolph had like played and coached his entire career in the AL at this point. Right. I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how we got here. Who's taking the start on Friday, Jarrett? Uh, it's going to be nice. It's because we know, you know, we don't want to bring Gabby, you know, up mm. into this clubhouse in the playoff race, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 blah. Because this is all we care about is exposing guys, exposing new club. It's like it's like exposing new dangers to the clubhouse. <laughs> Gabriel Noah is going to be. He's a troublemaker from what I hear, yeah. Uh, but they do act like. He's like, like show up with like a leather jacket and like smoking a cigarette. You know, you <laughs> want to talk about Josh Smoker later. Is there any fucking reason that Josh Smoker's not up right now? Because Josh Edging can throw strikes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I... <sighs> You know, there's. I, I'm scooping myself any, here, but by the way, in his last ten appearances, uh, Josh Smoker has a 17 to one strikeout to walk ratio. You know, is there any reason on merit that Ty Kelly has has this roster spot instead of TJ Rivera? You've got the AAA manager mouthing off to the media that they haven't called TJ Rivera up. Yeah, well, you know, while he talks like, too much, he went to the media and complained that he hadn't gotten called up. That's a that's unusual even for a while. True. 
And that may speak to the bond between that particular player. But... I'm shocked that Wally Backman likes TJ Rivera. This is the guy yeah. who demanded Ryland Sandoval get called up for a playoff run when Ryland Sandoval was in St. Lucie. You know, while we love Daryl Siciliani, too. Oh, I yeah. And Campbell. Yeah. I, I don't remember him quite going to the mat for Daryl Siciliani. I mean, Wally, like, literally, like, goes hunting with Daryl Siciliani in the offseason. Like, they're, like, legitimate close <laughs> friends. It's it's just very... Wally str- might be bored and tired of being in Vegas, too, and... At, you know, Wally's done some stuff that really wasn't with the program either. Sure. You know, we, we've talked about the leather such thing before, but, you know, he's he has his handling of Rafael Montero and Sean Gilmartin this year has bordered on odd at times. Is he, you know, we, I think we all know why he's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, need, I don't know if we need to verbalize why he's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's it's still weird that he's been there. He's been in Vegas. I'm, for, I'm trying to think. Like, there's no. There hasn't. I'm trying to think. There's really not been a major league bench. I, I mean, they could have made him the bench coach this past off season. Yeah, it's weird that he hasn't. You know, they could have made him the first base coach at various points. Right. I guess they do. They they just want to avoid the. You know, they're three over in August. And everyone starts talking for Wally and. But they do it anyway. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I know, I know. This, there's this, plenty of house organs in the New York media that love Wally Backman. I mean, a lot of the time because Wally Backman talks to them because Wally likes to talk. You know, if, if you listen if you listen to Mike and the Mad Dog and there's a Mets segment, you probably got a 50-50 chance of fire Terry Collins and bring Wally up. You know, that's, that's a common New York sure. canard. I... It's weird that he. It's weird to me that he's still in the organization, but he's stalled out there. Um, it's weird to me that nobody else has hired him because he was, you know, before he was the, a hot managerial candidate, yeah, such as they go. Before the DUI bust a gazillion years ago, he was a hot managerial candidate, and things have changed in front offices since then. Yeah. But there are, you know, like, the Twins could have hired him. <laughs> it always comes back to the Twins. Uh, the Twins... I'll, I'll be interested to see who the Twins hires their GM. I feel like that's gone kind of silent. Meanwhile, the assistant GM seems determined to screw up Buxton and Sanoa's major league careers, so... Yeah, Sanoa hit two home runs today. Yeah, and they're still talking about setting him down. <laughs> Because he has not shown the effort required on defense. He's, he's not an outfielder. I don't know what. He's not an outfielder. He's not an infielder either. He's I think he'd be okay at like first, probably. But yeah, yeah but as we discussed last week, they have Joe Bauer signed until the end of time. Which yes, I think is yeah. Team, uh, and they've been resistant to put Bauer at DH. Look, with the parade of bad defensive third basemen the Mets are going to play the rest of this year and maybe into next year, I take Miguel Sano in a second. Kelly Johnson, man. I, I I think Kelly Johnson's an underrated player. I think Kelly Johnson's been an underrated player for a while. Third base is probably his, like, fifth best position. There was, like, a what, the little dinker against uh, DeGrom, the swinging bunt or whatever. 
Yeah, like and he was he, not. He was not even in the picture. And like, <laughs> this is a bad infield. Right oh yeah, I, I, Johnson's bad. Loney is. Ugh. You know, he does things that make people swoon, but he's got... Because he literally can't bend at the waist. Yeah, he's got very limited range, and he's terrible at scoops. Walker, I mean, the best thing you can say about Neil Walker is he's better than Daniel Murphy. But especially playably below average. Especially coming in on balls. He's just, like, glacially slow. And, you know, Matt Reynolds is, like, a 45 shortstop. That might be generous. He's okay. He's, he's He's fringe average for me. I'd go forty, but that's whatever. Splitting hairs, we're, really. We're pay. He, he's been, but you know, there's games that it's Wilmer Flores too. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Wilmer Flores is Wilmer Flores has worked amazingly hard to just be really bad yeah. instead of like awful. <sighs> well, I guess but, we'll wrap up this segment with me letting you know, Jared. Yes. That through two innings, Gabriel Yanoa. That's not allowed to run, not walked anybody, and struck out too. Maybe he can taste it. He's probably still not getting it, though. I mean, if he goes out there and throws, like, seven shutout, does that actually increase his chances in any way? It probably shouldn't, but it probably will. <laughs> okay. I, are we assuming that this decision is probably made on a Wally Backman, Terry Collins phone call? <laughs> I have no idea. Look, I don't even want to guess how they make the back end of the roster decisions. Here's the thing. We've, we've pretty much Sheep already... send trails, Ouija board, whatever. We've assumed that Logan Verrett is not done. going to take the start on Friday, but he might just start on Friday. Why, why is he still on the major league roster if they've decided not to take the start? He's not going to be available until Thursday anyway. Well, I guess if they just use Nice, they might just move Verrett into the bullpen. Yeah, but you can. Yeah, you're still playing short for three days, and they never. Why would you? Why would the 2016 Mets play short? They never do that. Should we mention here that it sounds like Jose Reyes is going to be back, and when Jose Reyes is back, he's going to be the starting shortstop, which will definitely improve that infield defense a ton. On that note, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll answer your emails. We don't have a guess. You've got questions. We've got answers. We're doing this the second half of the show because we don't have a guest. As always, you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectus.com. Our first email is from Rob, dear J&J. So are you uh, Jamie Noble or Joey Mercury? I think Jamie Noble. Really? Joey Mercury is the one with substance abuse problems, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also don't know how much I bleed if you uh, smack me in the face with a ladder, but... Mm. So the Mets have a glut of corner outfielders now. Why can't they just place them in the excess at first base? It's not like Bruce Conforto or whoever will be worse defensively than Loney, right? Bruce's bat play at first base, right? I've been I've been writing about this for like months. So. <laughs> we'll get it. I know they don't have a center fielder, but having a bunch of good corner outfield options seems like a good problem to have. You'd think. Also, which Rasslin authority figure should take over as Mets GM once Sandy calls it quits? Mick Foley's a Mets fan, right? I think so. Because you'd want somebody like who knows what they're doing with baseball. I guess. I mean, you wouldn't want, like... 
Teddy Long, right? I don't know. I don't know. Tony Savani. Tony Savani's been a baseball broadcaster for a lot of years. There you go. Um, is Tony Savani ever an authority figure? I, f- I feel like in WCW, it must have happened at some point. Must have happened at some point. He was the guy that they uh, thought was going to get uh, Bischoff's job when Bischoff got it in '93. Mm. Like for real. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I know. I was vaguely paying attention. I don't know. Like, you'd want. See, for GM, you're not really looking for motivator. You're looking for somebody who's best at identifying talent. Bill and, Watts. Well, Bill Watts has some other reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to get Hank Aaron mad at me. Um, ooh. Paul Heyman? That fits more into the talent motivator thing, right? Also, he's terrible with money, so. Yeah, but he's great at managing things with no money. As long as he has, like, you know, Vince McMahon sending him a check every month. Yeah, well, does Irving Picard count? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go with Paul Heyman. You're going to go with Paul Heyman? All right. Can we answer Rob's actual question? Because you've written about this a lot. Yeah, I mean, for some reason we've decided that James Lodi is, like, somebody who can't, like, has to play He's hitting day. 290, Jarrett. He's James Lodi! Anyway, he's, like, he's James Lodi, man. It's. I'm this not saying is... James Lodi doesn't have value, but on a team with Jay Bruce, Michael Conforto, and Curtis Granderson in only two corner outfield spots. So one of the problems with getting James Lodi is that managers fall in love with James Lodi. And... Boy, Terry Collins is exactly the kind of manager to fall in love with James Loney, too. Uh, you know, should James Loney really be starting right now? This gets into, like, true talent level versus recent performance issues. Okay, MGL. <laughs> you know, so James Loney is, as I quickly type up fan graphs, which is good I'm for gonna a say, I'm going to guess 290, 340, 445. 290, 338, 435. That's mm. not great. That's not great for a first baseman. No, I mean, that's, you know, he's... Fangrass hasn't worth a third of a win. What's that under to plus, like 105? 112. Really? Yeah. I think they're using different park factors in baseball references. Like... There's been you some know, for, weird war outputs this year, but that's you know, a separate for all segment. Well, for all we've talked about James Loney, he's had about a third of a season's playing time, and he's hit six home runs, so it's not like it's that many. And he's only got 12 other extra base hits, so what's really happened is, like, two doubles have went for home runs, and that's right. his extra power output. Right, you got your... He's still... He's, up for his, like, 12 home run and 25 wa- double season. He's walking even less than he ever has... You know, his career line is 285, 338, 412. His line last season was 280, 322, 357. This is literally just a couple homers either way. And, oh. But he's hitting 290, Jarrett, so he's just going to keep playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's not going to be an issue because it sounds like Duda's not going to be back this season. But I was expecting Collins to play him over Duda. There's always 2017. They can't. I mean... Jarrett, you say that. Somebody's going to give them like three or four million to go be their starting first baseman. It's going to be the Mets. (laughs) 
Come on, that one-year, $5 million Deaza contract with incentives is just sitting out there for James Loney. So this is where we mentioned that Adam Rubin this week says he thinks that the Mets are going to non-tender Duda. I mean, you can mention it, but I don't really take Adam Rubin's, like, analysis seriously. If he'd said, I've heard they're considering this, I'd take it, like, that would be a thing. Duda, based on what he, Duda's salary is probably going to be pretty flat if he gets a raise. It's up to, be, like, eight, probably. It's, it's like, it's, six and three quarters right now. I don't even think he's going to get to eight. It's it's going to be between seven and eight, probably. Right. And if you thought Duda was worth that last year, there's no reason to believe he's not worth that moving forward, either. And he's also a potential qualifying candidate guy if he goes out and hits 30 again. Yep. Which should be a consideration there. He's also a lot better than James Loney. Yes. But, you know, I, I also feel like if they're not doing that, it's if they're non-tendering or trading Duda, it's probably to play Conforto or Granderson at first base full-time. Yeah, that's certainly a possibility. And then or, you can move one of them back into, well... Granderson will be gone, but you can always move one of them back into a corner outfield spot in 2018 for uh, Dom Smith. Oh, yeah, definitely. And when I say full-time, I mean platooning with, you know, Ty Kelly or whoever. <laughs> It'll still be Wilmer Flores. Yeah, whoever whoever ends up being the platoon. I mean, there's no reason they can't stop doing this now, start doing this now, but they're not going to. Because they it, want them to try it out in the offseason in spring training. And they say that stuff, and they never play those guys there in spring training, so I don't know what's going on there. I mean, Darno took workouts at first base in spring training this past season. They yeah. made a big deal about he had a glove and he was taking ground balls and everything. It's possible it went so badly that they are trying to cover up how badly it went. But, you know, that would be a way if you're dead set on getting Rene Rivera in there for defensive reasons, that would be a good way to get Darno in against the types of pitchers who Darno would have success against, which is generally crappy righties and lefties i think hmm. not more to... beat writer speculation uh buster only is currently speculating the mets might be in on justin turner this winter <sighs> justin turner's gonna be an interesting free agent case because of the micro fracture surgery i think yes you've said like this he was before. he was on he was on track i think like 100 or 120 but that that surgery is like just death and he's been good this year, but maybe good in a way that makes you think that he might not continue to be super awesome anymore. That sounds like a free agent the Mets would sign. I mean, in some ways, his free agency case is kind of comparable to Granderson's, I think. I mean, Granderson didn't really play at all that year, though. I mean, Turner's been on the field and... Yeah, but Granderson had, you know, the wrist problems yeah. that were a potential scare away for pretty much everybody, and the Mets signed him anyway, and that's been overall a pretty successful contract. Brady Jarrett has a Jap- or sorry, Jarrett Brady has a Japanese wrestling question. Shocking. Yeah. I'm watching, reading, and taking notes on every G one match. Okay. Why? Dave. Why? Why? So far, I've enjoyed the experience, but the lack of crowd reaction makes it more difficult to judge a match when you're used to chattering American crowd, but they're not chanting like, let's go so-and-so, no, let's go so-and-so back and forth. The okay, lack of not, that bothers you, Brady. Not for nothing, but like the vast majority of American crowds just suck. Yes. How do you adjust to this difference in crowd volume while watching a match in Japan? Thanks, y'all. Jeff does an awesome job at reading these. Such a calm, serene voice. Brady. P.S. Guarantee I'll be listening to this while doing some balsamic-related activity. 
So Brady went down to some kind of like uh, olive oil festival and saw the NXT show in New Orleans hmm. last night. Was very upset that Dave Meltzer got a report earlier than his. Uh, although it apparently was a very good show, and I believe he considered the uh, Gargano and Ciampa versus what uh, are those two guys' names? I'm, I'm fitting into their gimmick. The Revival, <laughs> Dash and Dawson. Yeah, uh, I think he gave that like four and a half stars, and Brady usually doesn't hand out star ratings like Candy. I'm guessing they were probably practicing their match for NXT Brooklyn. Probably. Which I am going to, and looks like it's going to be helpful. I still can't believe that like Johnny Gargano is like a thing in WWE. Yeah, I mean he's over too. He's, really, he's gotten a lot better since like the first time I saw him in Dragon Gate like, USA five years ago. But it looks like he might end up being like the top like white American dude in the cruiserweight division too when they call him up, and it's going to be as Johnny Gar- Johnny wrestling Johnny Gargano. It's really weird. Um, anyway, <laughs> I like Johnny Gargano. I never really liked Champa as much, but that. Chapa in Ring of Honor early was, like, really bad. And he's improved a lot since then, but it's, like, you never get... Like, when you get the guy that's, like, hugely overpushed at the beginning, you don't get, like, the stigma out of your head. Well, that's, that's, that's like, me and Gargano, so... Sure. That's fair. Um, I don't know. Like, Japanese wrestling's just different. It's different yeah. crowd reaction. It's Japanese commentary for the most part. And I watch Dragon Gate, which generally has pretty hot crowds, so... Sure, and New Japan does it times at times they don't um but if you come like by the same token if you compare random wwe crowds sitting on their hands and then occasionally booing roman reigns to like early 90s all japan or mid 80s nwa crowds where it's just like screaming phil specter wall of noise the entire time that's completely different too yeah, and I mean the crowds like really will get into it at times. Like I'm, uh, I'm not saying like a, a hot crowd can certainly help a match. I think uh, you know Nakamura Zayn at Takeover is a good example of that. Watch that back again recently. It's just as good. Yeah. It is the match of the year. Four and a half stars. Four and a half stars. It's it's, it's just like a Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano revival match at some NXT house show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we don't actually believe that, by the way. Um, but, like, the crowd in, you know, there was a, I, I'm behind on G1. I'm not going to fully catch up. I'm probably just going to pick and choose matches. But, like, in the first night, the fir- I think it was the first G1 match was Tenzon versus Ishii. And the crowd was into that more than all but maybe 10 WWE matches all year. Yeah, I, just, I, I don't just, like WWE crowds. Generally, aren't very good, or at least consistently good. Yeah, I mean, like your average raw crowd sucks. Yeah, and it's because they're there to take in the show, and they're just there. It's not a big thing. It's you know you will get um, like the AJ Styles Roman Reigns street fight in uh, Newark. That was a crazy hot crowd. But that entire show, I mean, the crowd for the Dean Ambrose-Chris Jericho match on the same show, you could have heard a fucking pin drop. So it also, it's just like anything, it just varies. Um, 
I usually find people more in Japanese commentary uh, talking about the commentary more than the crowd. Sure. Uh, have you? Uh, I am used to listening to Japanese commentary. I assume you are as well. Yeah. You know, you pick up uh, some of it is in weird English because the Japanese word for like clothesline is clothesline. <laughs> so there's like every fourth word you can understand, and you kind of pick up some of the idioms at various points, but so I, I personally think one of the best promos in the business is ghetto. And I don't know what he's saying 80% of the time because he probably only does 20% of his promos in English, but the emotion and the delivery is so good. That it doesn't matter. Yeah. I feel that way about Shima similarly. So yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, I, I don't know what the fuck Enzo Amore is saying <laughs> half the time either. Fair enough. But yeah. It's like, it, it's good. Good emotional wrestling, commentary, talking, uh, crowd reaction, it's, it translates. And so, Brady, you're watching G1, which is a lot of just kind of random matches. It is. That is part of the problem, too. Like, it's going to be some random singles match that maybe doesn't have a lot of build or history behind it. So, the majority of G1, with the exception of one or two shows... And the first show and the last three shows is this is the equivalent of house shows. Yeah, there's like, I mean, there's just a tour. Is all it is. You're watching house, Brady. You're watching house shows. If you went to a WWE house show, it would be the same thing. You just went to a WWE house show, but the NXTs part of the NXT thing is everybody wants to go and go nuts like the crowd at full sale. Yeah, that's a little bit different. But you know, these are house shows, and they're largely matches that don't have programs or feuds behind them. You got some really weird matches in there too, like the main event. Uh, one of the shows this weekend was Tetsuya Naido versus the King of Darkness Evil, who are the two top guys in the stable. Um, you also had an Okada versus Ishii match in there, so you get some weird matchups. But typically, with those weird matchups, a lot of times the crowd doesn't know how to respond. Um, I I would not know how to respond in a Naito Evil match because. They're both like dastardly heels, although Naido now gets Naido is a weird one because he was like the Roman Reigns figure in New Japan and then turned heel and became the most popular guy in the company because all of a sudden he was cool. I feel like there's a reason we do this at the end of the show because we've probably lost our audience at this point. So uh, let's bring them back by talking about Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> so assuming it doesn't get vetoed and. Um, I don't think it's gotten vetoed yet. I think I'm actually going to take a look at Alex Rodriguez in relation to the Mets this week for BP Mets, because his career does cross with the Mets. And he was almost a Met. Yeah, that's, that's and it crosses. Um, I don't know. I, I consider Alex Rodriguez probably one of the ten greatest players in baseball history. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, who is clearly better than him. I, there's, and there's a, there, you get into factors like integration and general curve of baseball Is history it, bending towards it being more difficult. I tend to use like the Bill James theory where you measure against what they were playing against. Right. You can't you can't get too screwy, but you can probably get him as high as like three or four if you sure. really want to push. And you can probably push him as low as twenty. But by any definition he's one of he is he was the generational infielder. Yeah. I think the one of the tweets I saw today called him basically Mike Trout, but as a gold glove shortstop, which seems about right. Right. 
And he was, you know, if you've only, you know, we have some younger listeners and we have some listeners that maybe didn't watch a lot of Mariners or Rangers games back in the day. A-Rod put on a lot of weight towards the end of his career and had a lot of hip problems. In his prime, he was an amazing athlete. He was, as you pointed out, a gold glove shortstop. He could run. Uh, he had a really high-end hit tool. I mean, he hit like 360 one year, and there were other years he hit like 330 and 340. He wasn't a one-dimensional slugging third baseman like he was at the end. He, he, he has a weird place in baseball history. You know, there's the steroid stuff, which you have to mention because... I mean, as a 20-year-old, he hit yeah. 358, 414, 631. 36 homers, 54 doubles. I mean, he was called up essentially straight out of A-ball as an 18-year-old and was not, like, totally in over his head. This is, like, these numbers are ridiculous. Right, and there's some error context in there, too. Sure, Uh, but I mean, like, 1998, he went 40-40. Right. And you would never think of the Alex Rodriguez of the last eight years as a 40 steals guy, but I think he's still 46 that year. Yeah. You know, he won, what, three MVP awards? Yep. By any definition, this is one of the great players of his era, except he got suspended for steroids. Yeah. And much of the, I would say, second half of his career was kind of marred by this general steroid cloud. I will say, though, if you're a Yankee fan and you're going to complain about Alex Rodriguez taking steroids, I hope you're going to get back to 2009 pennant, too. Brian Cashman straight up made that point today. Yeah. I mean, he carried them through that yeah. through he, took, he was wearing his 2009 ring and took it off and made that point. Yeah. By any reasonable definition, Rodriguez was prob- was certainly worth the first contract and probably even worth the second contract, which is amazing to think about because that contract was considered negative value. The first contract was considered negative value from the second it was signed. And that contract turned out to be a freaking steal. Yeah, let's see. That runs through, what, 2000? 2000? 2001 to 2010. In that, spe- in that period, he played 1,000— 15-13 games, so he, play, he, was, he essentially played full-time the entire yeah. way. 299, 394, 577. Jesus. That's a 150 OPS plus. Playing, well, split, I guess, between shortstop and third, but yeah. Won, won all three of his MVPs in that period, made 9 of 10 All-Star teams, and never finished worse than 14th on an MVP ballot. Or, excuse me, 15th on an MVP ballot. And that's his decline phase. Right, yeah. To me, the most remarkable thing Rodriguez did was come back last year and be good. Because, mm. put aside the steroids, this was a guy whose hips were shot. Like, absolutely shot. And the prevailing wisdom was that he was never going to play again after 2013. He has an entire year off, his age 38 year under the steroid suspension, and he comes back, and he's you know An above he, average DH. Yeah, he he was he hit thirty three home runs, and you know he was kind of a one dimensional slugger at that point, but he was good. And that's that's a remarkable testament to the drive of this guy because there isn't you know 
the Yankees would have been perfectly happy to have this resolution before 2015, too. They, they, he came back because he wanted to come back, not because the Yankees were, like, thrilled to have him. And you hear the things that people inside baseball say about him, and they're generally pretty positive about his influence on younger players and his eye for the game. Uh, Brian Cashman mentioned that he thinks that A-Rod's going to end up owning a team someday, end up being the principal owner of a team, which would be an interesting reversal of fortune, I guess. His five most similar batters through this year are Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Ken Griffey, Frank Robinson, and Barry Bonds. Right. Babe Ruth is also on that list. Yeah. You know, his most similar batter overall is Willie Mays, but it's also an eight. It, these similarity scores are in the high seven and low 800s, which basically means there was no similar player. Jaws has him as the second best shortstop of all time. I'm not even clicking, but I'm assuming that's behind Honus Wagner. Yeah, who played literally a completely different game. Yes. Well, Honus Wagner basically played modern baseball yeah. in an era where the game was not modern. Yeah. He was like, he's often considered like the first modern. He like did things like weightlift and was considered weird for doing that. He's He's a hell of a player. He's... Yeah, he's also, uh, I would say, a weird dude in a sports culture that does not, in a media culture that does not really know how to handle that. Sure, I, I think there's a chance that he could end up being a major league manager. Like I made that joke in the first segment. He's Barry not Bonds be- is a hitting coach, and you wouldn't think that would have been possible five years yeah, ago. Matt Williams, Mark McGuire. You know, Jason Giambi's been up for managerial jobs. And these guys are all guys that, like, made a lot of money in baseball and don't have to do this. Right. Like, A-Rod never has to work another day. It's like, A-Rod's worth, like, (laughs) A-Rod may be worth a billion dollars at this point. He's done very well in his business dealings off the field. A-Rod Corp? (laughs) Yes. Um... He, he he's capable of moving on and doing pretty much anything at this point. And it'll be interesting to see what time brings. Uh, assuming he does not get signed by somebody, he's going to be serving as a special assistant to the Yankees, and we'll see what happens from there. Uh, he could also very... He could end up being this generation's Tim McCarver type guy on TV too. He was actually it reminds me he was really good in the playoffs last year, wasn't he? He was really good, and he's expressed an interest in doing that moving forward. So, I would not be surprised if he pops up in that kind of role. Well, we'll take one more break now and talk about some more stuff. Welcome back. It's time for the third half of the show because we're still going to try to keep some sort of comfortable traditional format here that we've established over our first 13 episodes on For All You Kids Out There. And before we do our third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is For All You Kids Out There, episode 14. For All You Kids Out There is the official podcast of your Baseball Prospectus Mets local site. You can find us at BaseballProspectus.com or Mets.Local.BaseballProspectus.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes. 
Just search for For All You Kids Out There, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on Twitter at For All You Kids. You can find Jarrett on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group, which, yes, is now facebook.com slash groups slash for all you kids out there. I can say it. I so it's not like 20 random numbers? No, no, you can change it in the settings. Okay. Brady told me how, so. Thank you, Brady. And, of course, you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectives.com. Brady may be the only person listening after yeah, the pro wrestling A-Rod talk. So. Well, if you uh, did stick around for the third half, you're going to get some Mets prospect talk by request. You want to talk about Robert Gazelman? What do you have to say about Robert Gazelman? On merit, Robert Gazelman should probably be taking the next fifth starter spot in the Mets rotation. He's got uh, 200 innings at double A or above at this point. Yes, about. 23, so it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's time to get moving here, and he has strung four pretty good starts together at AAA, which is not, like, super easy in yeah. that. You kind of have to ignore the dingers, but it's the PCL, so you can just ignore the dingers. Um, although I am noticing in his last start, he threw 113 pitches. Yeah, it sounds Wally. Right. Wally. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, Gizelman is... Probably the top right-handed pitching prospect in the system at this point. Oh, I... Done? I don't it's know. It's probably done, but... Okay. I mean, functionally it, speaking... The top high-level right-handed pitching. It's the top pitching prospect in the full-season league. How's that? That's fine, yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> um, might be it, the only one. <laughs> yeah. It's probably time to see whether he's because he could plausibly be like your 2017 fifth starter right and also you know he's been working on that slider giving him two months at the majors with dan worth and to refine it and maybe you stumble upon something you kind of need to know at some point yeah um you kind of need to know and if you're at the point where we're talking about john niece or Logan Verrett, that's probably the time to bring Gazelman up. So that's really all I have on Gazelman. So you got on Gazelman? Yeah. Do you have anything on Gazelman? Um, I do want to sit down and watch some of his Vegas starts when they're actually in a stadium with a decent MILB TV feed just to check in on the slider. Which is not Vegas itself. <laughs> no, which is not Vegas itself. Because um, I'm curious about that, because that's going to be the different ma- difference maker for him. Now, he's absolutely one of those guys. He's a big athletic righty, pretty good command profile. Like, would I be shocked if, you know, he spends two months with Dan Worthen and suddenly it's a 60 slider and he's got a two-seamer that's sitting 92 to 94? The velocity did jump this year a bit. A bit. Not, not he hasn't always. As... Yeah, and he hasn't always sustained it start to start. It doesn't always show up. Um, you know, so so the easy comp because of the body and the profile of pitches that people will make is Jacob Degrom. Yes, go ahead and make the Jacob Degrom comp. I am not making the Jacob. Okay, so there's I there's always got to be an ex Jacob Degrom. I want to talk about Jacob Degrom a little bit. So this seems like a good spot to talk about Jacob Degrom briefly. Okay. Um, Jacob DeGrom's got a shot to win the Cy Young this year. He's not going to have enough wins. He's not going to have enough, yeah. Brian, Brian, 
Brian Kenny may be pulling for Jacob DeGrom to win the Cy Young. Jacob DeGrom is sitting at a 2 3 5 ERA right now, which is probably the quietest somebody's been sitting at that in like a while. Um, his advanced metrics are not quite as good coming into the start today. I think that's part his, of the reason because his, his FIP his, is a little high. I think his last I looked at his DRA was like 3 2. Yeah, his DRA is in that range. His FIP is about 3. Um, but. You know he's he's pretty goddamn good. Oh yeah. I think we need to, you know, just check back. He's been one of the three best starters in the National League this season, and that's you know it's him, Bumgarner, and I guess Kershaw at least until Kershaw starts dropping out of these rankings. And Bumgarner or Strasburg is going to win most likely the Cy Young. Yeah. Um, I I don't want Strasburg to win it because I don't want Brian Kenny to have reason to rant. But I mean, he doesn't really need. Yes, but that will become a great reason for him. I mean, uh, just eyeballing the baseball reference pitching war leaderboard, Strasburg's tied with Kurt. Well, tied. We're talking about like whether or not going to a decimal plate is significant in the mm-hmm. first point. But for those of you that like that kind of false precision, Kershaw's at 4.8, Strasburg's at 4.8, Scherzer's at 4.6. I'm guessing Paul Murder gets killed on a park effect there. Let's take a peek. Yes. So it turns out when you've got a lot of really good pitchers that induce weak fly ball contact, and, like, you build your team around them, the park effects get really weird. Who knew? Um, yeah, he's fully, like... But the the reason I'm bringing this up is Jacob DeGrom's now had 72 major league starts during which the entire time he's basically been a top five to eight pitcher in the league. So stop fucking comping people to Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> yeah, Jacob DeGrom is fifth by uh, Baseball References War. Jacob DeGrom has now thrown, let's see, so i got to carry some numbers, 457 and two-thirds innings in the major leagues, and his ERA is a, a couple hundreds over 2.5. Two and a half ERA. I play in Texas last week when I was bored at work, and I think he came out as, like, the fourth best pitcher by ERA plus over that time period. Yes, we are not dealing at this point with an ace. We're dealing with a high-end ace. I mean, it's... Is Jacob DeGrom an eight? Probably. I mean, it's an eight. This is a roll-eight player, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's... How is it not? I, you, mean, you, I mean, it's like the old Jason Parks line. The scale doesn't work unless you use 80 and use 20. How If you were... Going out there to win a game tomorrow, how many pitchers are you taking over him? Five, maybe? I don't even think it's that many. Because the other thing, there's like, again, he gets into what you talked about before on the show, sort of the soft factors. So, Bumgarner... Like, I know Jacob DeGrom can go out there in a do-or-die game and find a way to win it. Bumgarner, Scherzer, Sale are like the three like really obvious ones, right? Well, Kershaw, too. Kershaw's hurt, and Cindergaard hasn't been Cindergaard. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that's probably... I mean, we still want to throw Arietta in there, too? Arietta hasn't been Arietta for a while, either. All right. So, so, but, yeah, I mean, we're talking about 
you know, six or seven guys. He's clearly one of the six or seven best pitchers in baseball. He could be as high as, like, three. This is not a guy you should be comping Robert Gizelman to. This is the one that did this. Yes, but this is Robert Gizelman's 99.9th percentile outcome. I mean, Jacob deGrom was Jacob deGrom's 99.9th percentile outcome. And you have then every thousand times you hit the one to thousand. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can do the math. Yeah. This, like, literally is the one in a thousand, and you can't expect that to keep happening. Um, at least not with guys with Jacob DeGrom's profile. Like, you know, guys with Matt Harvey's profile or Noah Syndergaard's profile can have this kind of jump a lot easier. Jacob DeGrom was a projected, like, 4-5 or setup guy. So, getting it back to Robert Gazelman for a second, if you give him these 10 starts... Robert Gazelman is, to me, a projected 4-5 or setup guy. Yeah. and But I think it's kind of important to at least get a handle on his major league readiness, on his ability to pitch in a major league rotation. And there's a decent shot he gives you better innings than Logan Verrett the rest of the way, or John Reese right. for that matter. I mean, like, you could catch something very realistically. Like, and if, if it doesn't, that, if, it, if it goes really bad, you have Zach Wheeler in three weeks. Right, and if Matt Harvey's healthy, I'm not advocating for this conversation like i'm not saying that the match should be in a hard look for next year but you know if you you can kind of thread the needle here a little bit right like this is probably is the best candidate to or at least the difference between him and john niece is not substantial enough to warrant taking john niece out of the bullpen and not getting a look at his element so i want to talk about josh smoker josh smoker one of my favorite met prospects as I said in the first half of the show, Josh Smoker, 17-1, to 1, a strikeout-to-walk ratio in his last 13 innings. That'll play. Okay, so Josh Smoker is 27? Seven. I yeah. think it's 28 pretty soon. Could be. He's got 13 strikeouts per nine in the PCL, which is, like, really hard to do. Right. Uh, he throws 97 with a really cool split. Yep. Has a cutter this year, too, apparently, that comes in in the low 90s. Which makes sense, because his breaking ball isn't very good. Isn't this something you'd want pitching major league innings for you? You'd think. The Mets have carried some not very good bullpen guys. And I know there's a stigma against carrying, like, three or four lefties. I mean, they called up but Josh Edgen, so they have yeah, still have three lefties. But Josh Edgen's, like, a major league proven boogie. <laughs> can come in and walk a guy on four pitches. I, I, one of my fears with Smoker is that I would expect Smoker's correct usage to probably be as a setup guy, and I fear that Terry Collins will not use will use him in the manner that he has used, say, Jerry Blevins. Yeah, and he's open a little bit, so it's not like there's a ton of deception there against lefties, and he doesn't really have a breaking ball. Not saying he can't get lefties out, I think he can, but he does not, he's not going to be a huge split guy. So one of the arguments against signing Antonio Bastardo was, even before the season, it was not clear that Josh Smoker couldn't just do what Antonio Bastardo does. Right. I mean, it you... Was, it was baffling that Smoker wasn't up last September, too. I mean, he started the year in... Savannah, I think. But they had to add him to No, the I know. They had to add him to the 40 anyway. But it's it's one of those sort of, like, found money things. They might not know what to do with him at the time. Like, like, I don't have a good explanation. Like, I saw him in St. Lucie last summer. 
He was touching 98. I'm like, this guy can get major league hitters out right now. What is he doing here? Yeah, like, that's probably still the case. And, like, there's no reason he can't do Eric Goodell's job. Except like, that generic Eric, middle reliever. Eric Goodell is a known quantity to the major league clubhouse and the major league manager. I know. I know this. You know this. I mean, I mean Josh he, Smoker could... It's unlikely, but it's not a fucking 99.9 percentile outcome that Josh Smoker could close for somebody. No, that's That's like 75 percent, 80 percentile outcome. Yeah, there's no reason to suggest that he's not a major league pitcher at all. Oh, no. And you've got a lefty that can do this kind of stuff, and it just seems like you're wasting his bullets... I mean, Josh Smoker is... a guy with a history of serious arm problems, too. Yeah, he's thrown 73 innings in the high minors the last two years. That's just, like, a lot. And, you know, he's on the 40, so... And you can't... uh, He would never clear waivers. He would... The Braves would... The Braves Braves would... The Braves would not only snap him up, but he might be the Braves' closer in two weeks. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he'd literally get claimed by the first team out there because, you know, 97-98 with the splitter is just not something you see from the left side, even with the influx of velocity. I, yeah, Josh Smoker should be up. Is this just like the Mets? When was the last time Josh Edgen actually pitched? Because I, I feel like I don't think he's pitched wild. since uh, he walked a guy on four pitches. Yeah, and you know, so that's you know, he has not been used in the last four games, and they've already said they don't feel comfortable using him for more than an inning or on back-to-back days because of his how his rehab prospect process went. Like this is a dead roster spot, almost. right? Yeah, like he, I don't know. As the I manager, was kind of shocked they called him up. As the manager is slagging the starting pitchers while complaining, I don't have anybody to pitch in relief. Josh Smoker could go out there and throw your fifth and sixth inning when he Noah can Syndergaard's go multiple innings got, too, yeah. Yeah, when Noah Syndergaard's throwing ninety-four pitches through four, like Smoker could go out there and throw the five-six, as opposed to having Syndergaard throw one hundred and eighteen pitches through six. <sighs> I, this is this gets into the whole the Mets have managed the down the down parts of the roster just bizarrely for the last two years since they got competitive. You're usually searching for every little single edge, and they've played they've constantly played with dead roster spots for guys that were obviously going on the DL. They've played with dead roster spots for bullpen arms that the manager won't use. They don't turn the back end of the roster enough, generally. I think most of those are related to the DL issues. But, yeah, I mean, there's no... Brandon Nimmo is not a fit on this roster unless he's playing center field, unless the manager trusts him to play center field. If you want a corner outfielder that's going to sit on the bench, A, it shouldn't be a real prospect, and B, it should be right-handed. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even mean the back end of the 25-man roster. I mean the back end of the 40-man roster. Like, why has Eric Campbell been on the 40 for three years? The Braves because probably are not claiming Eric Campbell. I, 
I mean, if that's what it takes to get Travis they Tyrone, like our- you get Travis Tyrone up for two weeks, you give him a look. If he strikes out 75% of the time, you DFA him and move on. Yeah, I, there's a... There's, that's the only path to the majors for a lot of these guys, so... And it's... And the funny this- thing is, you do this, all of a sudden, maybe you get a better class of minor league free agents and non that's where IT types that's, too. That's where, that's where I was going. If you show good faith with this kind of stuff. Like if Miguel people, Sokolovich gets a September call-up, maybe you retain Miguel Sokolovich. Right. Um, the Yankees do this a gazillion times better than the Mets, and the Yankees get much better minor league free agents than the Mets do. There was that, what was that offseason where they signed two minor league free agents and one of them was Dwayne Below? Was that this past offseason? It might have been. I think that was two, I think that was two off seasons ago. And I guess technically they signed a third and it was Smoker out of a tryout camp. Yeah. But he, was not, he didn't get a non-roster invite, so nobody really knew. I think it was, uh, I think they signed two NRIs and it was Johnny Manel and Dwayne Below. Sounds about right. And, and they, end up having, like, they end up having to raid Indie Ball like they did this year. Yeah. For, like, Josh Z and Andrew Barbosa and whoever else. Like, there's a soft factor in your minor leaguers seeing, like, TJ Rivera, like, beat the shit out of the Pacific Coast League and get a two-week call-up to prove that he can't play, as opposed to retreading the same guys over and over in the 40-man. Or Josh Smoker, uh, as opposed to retreading Josh Edgen over and over. Like, there's a soft motivational factor here, too, that, you know, we don't like to talk about these kinds of things. But if you're, if you're the organizational soldier with a dream of hitting his way to the major leagues, seeing T.J. Rivera makes it, make it, you know, is good for you. Because T.J. Rivera is an organizational soldier that's basically hitting his way to the major leagues. Or not, as it were. Yeah, and I don't have a particular desire to see T.J. Rivera in the majors. I don't either, but he deserves a call-up at this point. He should be up in Stat Pot Kelly. Sure. Why not? You might as well try it. If they're just going to cycle through Ty Kelly and Eric Campbell, you might as well try another guy I don't think is going to hit in the majors. But, but you, you know, hit, Ty, sometimes you hit on these guys. You know, Ty Kelly was already in this position and now he's just—he's not getting called back up because he was still destroying the PCL. He's getting called back up because he was on the forty from last time. Yeah. Do I have anything else? I don't have a good answer here. I yeah I. I don't know. You know what I do know, Jared. What's that? IFK Gothenburg is in the playoff final for Europa League qualifying. Are we picking this up now, too? We are, yes. This was the segment that was promised. So I know I've been neglectful of this. It'd be a nice transition period into the new show, and there was a big break for the Euros. But yes, in fact, thank you for asking. I am picking up the IFK Gothenburg update. Are we going to have Sheffield Wednesday updates, though? No, I don't do that. Did you want to listen to the show? I kind of said it the opposite. They won 1-0. It's kind of a scrappy little ping pong goal from Forestieri in the last five minutes. Okay. There's 46 games. I'm not going to give you an update on all of them. It'll all be there on Twitter.com. I mean, so. I'll get an update on all of them. Just the listeners will get an update on all of them. Sure. <laughs> My Twitter followers will get an update on all of them. Yeah, so I usually get some kind of 
Slack message or DM or text message. That well, I was excited today because they were showing a replay of the Fulham Newcastle game, and Fulham has Visit Florida as their uh, sponsor on their shirt this year, which is like the most random thing because someone from Southwest London is going to Tampa or whatever for vacation. I can also kind of tell when Sheffield Wednesday is playing based on when you are randomly drunk in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that can be involved with other things, too. That's usually a good bet. Anyway, Jarrett, despite losing 2-1 to HJK Helsinki in the first leg at home, they won 2-0 in the return leg in Finland, 83rd minute goal by Jacob Ankerson to get them through into the final round of qualifying. They win their game against, I think this is pronounced Karabag. Sure. Yeah, in in Karabag, which is in Azerbaijan, by the way. Um, they will get into the group stage of the Europa League uh, for the first time since, I believe, uh, 1998. Is this a good thing, I assume? It is. It's European competition, Jarrett. It's okay. very important. I'll, I'll be the stupid American asking yeah, yeah. stupid questions for this segment. Nobody will know. Nobody will know the wiser. Yeah, yeah. I guess we get an Alspenskin Liga update in here as well. I think, as I said at the outset, I was not particularly the outset of the season not particularly enthused about their chances. Okay. They had some of their better players get sold off in the last transfer window but they're uh, they're puttering along currently sitting I'm gonna, I think it's fourth place I'm at the exact numbers yes currently in fourth place um, nine points off Malmo with a game in hand they play this Monday at home no sorry at Jugardens who's running a five-game losing streak going into uh, the game on Monday. So maybe a chance to pick up a little ground and move into third ahead of their traditional rival, AIK. And I believe they play, the qualifier is the 16th in Azerbaijan. Our man on the ground, Anders, is upset because he can't go, because he can't get a Travel visa with enough lag time. And also the Swedish government recommends he doesn't go to Azerbaijan. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Should should we do a quick uh, Olympics spot here? Yeah, what do you want to say about the Olympics? I don't know. I don't have time to watch the Olympics. I I kind of... I tend to be the guy that watches the Bob Costas NBC show. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's when I watch TV. Yeah. Um, I can make this baseball related. So baseball is not in this Olympics. It's They'll in, be in 2020. It's in Tokyo. Major League Baseball will not let the players go to Tokyo. Um, there has some been some back chatter that one of the features of the LA 2024 bid is that they may have Major League Baseball on board to stop the season for this two weeks. This makes no sense. Um, hockey does it. Yeah, I mean, it's just not... Basketball doesn't have to. Right. Um, the Japanese leagues have, in the past, 
stop their season, as has the Cuban National League. Are you excited for the return of baseball in the Olympics? Do you give us a No, all these guys are going to be on 50 pitch counts, and it's not really going to in, in do the more past, than approximate competitive baseball. In the past, the United States has, alter, has alternated between sending minor league veterans and sending something resembling like a futures game team. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to them. I mean, they have to have the Team USA college kids, too, I suppose. Yeah, they usually throw one or two. Like, I think Strasburg pitched in 2004 in Athens um, when he was in college. This was like uh, this was like the coming out party of, like, Ben Sheets. Was yeah, 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 I read that, yeah. That was like the Ben Sheets-Roy Oswalt team. Um... Yeah, I know. I I like the WBC, so I'm probably going to get into it. Just I don't know why you like need the WBC plus the Olympics plus stupid xenophobic American. I don't know. It just it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me as an Olympic sport. Like I feel like it takes the focus away from like stuff that only comes around once every four years that really gets a sort of moment in the sun so i think if the wbc didn't exist and you had mlb buy-in it would actually be pretty cool okay i can get behind that like if the wbc was the olympic tournament i think on both sides it would be a lot cooler can we tie this in with one of our pet themes of previous third halves and mention that the ioc drug testing is much more stringent than major league baseball's (laughs) <laughs> Although it's got some problems too. But. Well, yeah, but I mean, I like you know, I, I like seeing a lot of those sports pop up. You know, your swimming and your beach volleyball. And yeah, your... the kind of stuff when I do when I had cable, I can actually watch like one of the twenty NBC affiliates showing stuff. Like I enjoy watching like fencing and judo and sure stuff like that, Greco-Roman wrestling. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, like I said, I tend to watch the higher profile. So you just watch gymnastics. That's what it is in the summer. It's it's gymnastics, swimming, and beach volleyball. It's like some track and field too. Yeah, there's some track and field. It depends on, you know. Um, I don't know. Like this year, this is going to sound like very uh, stereotypically woke, but. Like, something about this year's Olympics really bothers me, too. Yeah, and ratings... Having just sort of gone through this with the World Cup as well. It's just all a little... weird. Um, Like, people may die from the water. (laughs) Like, that is a thing that could conceivably happen. A kayaker hit a sofa the other day, apparently. Yeah, and there was a really horrific accident in the women's road race, biking, um, that was essentially because of awful road conditions. Uh, Rio shouldn't have these Olympics. Yeah, that's even before we get into sort of the economic bullshit that's been going on throughout the... Four finalist candidates. It was Rio, Chicago, Madrid, and Tokyo. Rio was by far the least prepared of the four and got it because of political corruption, <laughs> essentially. Like, there is no. As a soccer corrupt- fan, I don't know anything about this. Yes, like the. Yeah, okay. Qatar, anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's been pretty, you know, 
that there were kickbacks involved and that Rio maybe got it as part of a deal to get Soki in 2014. Uh, you know, so Tokyo has it in 2020, and that'll be like the most perfectly oiled machine ever. Because <laughs> that's what Tokyo does. It's just, yeah, and I think as the Olympic broadcast partner, NBC has been glossing over a lot of this, which also feels icky. And that, you know, there was uh, the NBC broadcast of the opening ceremony was just shameful. Shameful. It's it's the only word for it. They taped it for no reason. They hacked it to bits in editing. They had their morning show hosts making horrible, often subtly racist jokes. It was just, it was, it was as bad as you're going to get. Um, you're really um, encouraging me to watch the Olympics this year. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're a huge fan of Matt Lauer or Hoda Copt. Copped, coped. I don't. I don't watch the Today Show. I'm at work when the Today Show is on. Well, not the entire Today Show, but I still don't watch it. Oh my God, show. no one cares <laughs> about, <laughs> about where you are when the Today Show is on. <laughs> but it, it was. It, this has just been bad. It hasn't. It and it feels like it's kind of weird because you. Sh- I would think that because of the time zones actually match up that people would be more into it, but it just feels like people are not into it right now. Anyway, we have a great summer of more Mets baseball to look forward to. We just don't have time to watch the Olympics. Oh, yeah. And I think part of it is that we're going out of town for like three or four days right in the middle of the Olympics. So, Saber Seminar next week. I'm going to get that plug in right under the wire. So, yes, we will be at Sabre Seminar next week, along with other good baseball folks. We'll probably record something live-ish. And by live-ish, I mean live to tape. We'll be in the same room when we record, possibly with other people. Possibly with other people, yes. From the event, which should be a uh, There are enough other people. Oh, there's plenty of other people. We should be able to rope somebody in. We can be both be very charming and convincing, I imagine. Yes. So next week, it'll be us and Dave Cameron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Right, we're going to wrap the show up now before yes. things get really ugly. I don't know where I lost control of the show. Um, I thought there was structure. Like May. Yeah, fine. About May. Early to mid-May. <laughs> but we'll soldier on next week with another edition. For all you kids out there. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts 
They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.